0: Thanks for joining us today for TCC at Home Together. Uh, Really grateful uh, you've made it a priority to be with others and host homes throughout our community. I hope you're encouraged. Uh, I hope that uh, you enjoyed uh, getting to, to worship together and now... Uh, hearing God's word. To all those watching online, uh, we're also really glad uh, that you've joined us um, and uh, and perhaps that you're unable uh, to come to a host home. We pray that this serves you in this season, but I uh, also want to, to to really encourage and invite uh, you to, to make it a point uh, to come and be a part of one of our host homes. Uh, we would love uh, to have you and to worship with you. Uh, today we continue our series on relationships, uh, looking at uh, biblical Foundations for Navigating Life with Others. Uh, and today we, we come to the topic of singleness. Uh, we've, we've looked at marriage, we've looked at parenting, and uh, today we, we come to the topic of singleness. And uh, it's fitting that uh, we, we think about singleness and, and marriage in close uh, proximity to one another because obviously we, we often view them in contrast with one another. Um, and, and it's particularly interesting to think about how we think of singleness within our culture. I want to talk as well about how we think about singleness in the church. But uh, first, I want I want you to think about uh, some of the ways in which singleness is characterized uh, in our culture. You can see this in, in songs. Uh, you can see this in, in movies. Uh, the way in which singleness is characterized often uh, can be viewed as... Um, like a holding pattern uh, until you're married. Uh, It's kind of this uh, waiting period until something better comes along which is often viewed as marriage. Uh, Singleness is often associated with um, with the idea of sexual exploration and sexual openness within our culture. It's viewed as singleness is the time in which you can experience and try these things without any boundaries or commitments uh, such as marriage. Uh, singleness also is is seen as a time of of self discovery uh, this isn 't just true when you 're young but it can also be true for those who are older it's it 's kind of seen as this opportunity to to find out who you are uh, to to figure out who uh, who you truly are uh, but there 's another another dynamic that 's also true uh, that 's assumed often of singleness and uh, and I know isn 't only assumed it can be a real challenge and and that 's the uh, the struggle of loneliness. Uh, often singleness is equated uh, with with loneliness, and we'll dive more into that as we think about this topic from the perspective of God's Word. Uh, but when you take all that together, singleness can be both this exciting period of time, and yet uh, it can be marked uh, with a lot of challenges and, and sometimes some really unhelpful and even harmful assumptions that are brought to singleness. And and when we think about how this has made its way into the to the view of of the church as it relates to singleness and in a lot of ways singleness uh, in the church is uh, is often in line with the view of our culture uh, and and how our culture sees singleness we just kind of baptize it a little bit you know because i think uh, ultimately uh, what uh, what you see as we think about singleness and marriage, and and this observation isn't unique to me, but uh, what what has taken place in our culture as we think about the elevation of self and and particularly the emphasis upon uh, sexual fulfillment being part of what it means to be fulfilled as a human being, uh, what what happens in our culture is there's this sense of um, we aren't fulfilled unless we are able to act upon uh, all, of our, uh, all of our desires, including our sexual desires. Uh, and, and the church, we, we kind of just kind of accept that assumption, uh, but we just say, well, that's for marriage. Um, and, and so what ends up happening is often we can see singleness as kind of being deficient in some way. And then you're really fulfilled when you get married and can experience marriage. Uh, and and in all of that i I think we we have to step back and say, what's God's word say about singleness? because I, I really think that Christian singleness is something altogether different than what we we see in in our broader culture and and it often is different than sometimes what we accept and assume even within the church and it it's a challenge both to those who find themselves... And are single now, as well as to those who find themselves and are sing- and, and are married now. and here's here's just a broad statement that I, I want to to help frame uh, our conversation and our look at God's word as we consider singleness. Christian singleness is to be characterized <clears throat> by sexual purity, meaningful friendship, and wholehearted devotion to God. Christian singleness is to be characterized by sexual purity, meaningful friendship, and wholehearted devotion to God. We we get uh, a little bit of a glimpse of this uh, actually before we uh, jump into our main passage, which is going to be 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I want to take you back to to Jesus teaching uh, on on this topic in Matthew 19, we we looked at this passage la- a few weeks ago as we considered um, God's design for for marriage. Uh, it's also helpful for us today as we consider God's design for singleness. And listen uh, to to Jesus as he uh, interacts with his disciples. He uh, he's presented with this question about divorce, and, and Jesus uh, really offers such a high view of marriage and the commitment of marriage that the disciples, upon hearing what Jesus says um, about God's call, calling upon those who are married and, um, and, and upon the, the devotion and the commitment that is to characterize marriage, the disciples say in verse 10, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus uh, really uh, lifts a, a high view uh, and standard of faithfulness in marriage so much so that the disciples are like, ah, I'm not sure uh, that, that it's worth it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's better to be single. And, and Jesus doesn't contend with that. Jesus doesn't downplay, doesn't degrade singleness. In fact, listen to what he does. He says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. And then he goes on to talk about eunuchs. Um, what in the world is that all about? He says that there are some who are eunuchs from birth and there are others who have been made eunuchs by men. Uh, and then there are those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. The, the addressing of eunuchs is actually Jesus showing us that there's really two options um, when we when we think about um, how uh, how marriage and singleness is to be understood, there's faithfulness in marriage, and then there's celibacy and singleness. And the 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 conversation about eunuchs is pointing to such. A eunuch is one who who was unable uh, to. Uh, to have physical relations, and there are some who are such by birth, there are some who are made such like serving in the king's palace, they would be castrated so that they would be no threat to the to the royal line. but this third category is of what's most important when it says some have made themselves eunuchs or considered themselves uh, celibate for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is giving us a glimpse as to what we're to under- how we're to understand singleness singleness is to be marked by sexual purity, celibacy, as well as to be marked by the pursuit of God's kingdom. And when we take this all together with the rest of Scripture's teaching, we we arrive at this understanding that Christian singleness is characterized by sexual purity, meaningful friendship, and wholehearted devotion to God. This is just the outset of how Jesus lays out this topic for us, and, and it's important for us as we step into it to have the right framework to be thinking uh, about these things and how Jesus uh, teaches uh, as it relates to singleness. And, and as we are walking through this series on relationships and we, we come to the topic of singleness, I, I really believe it's vital for us to understand God's design for singleness is, is important for the whole church. God's design for singleness matters for the whole church. Now, it doesn't matter for the whole church just because the singles a few weeks ago had to sit through a sermon on marriage, and now it's the, t- the turn for the married people to sit through a sermon on singles. That's not what I'm saying at all. I- I'm saying that, that what God is saying to us in his word um, matters for the whole church. And in fact, as we come to 1 Corinthians 7, which is our passage uh, for, for today, 1 Corinthians is a book written, is a letter written to the church at Corinth. So as Paul is going to address the topic of singleness in 1 Corinthians 7, particularly verses 25 through 40, he's addressing the whole church, not just singles in the church. Furthermore, in verse 1, we see that Paul is actually addressing this topic of singleness because Those within the church are asking him questions about it, wanting him to to give some input and direction as to how how they're to think about these things. So not only uh, should the church be able and willing to receive what God has to say about singleness, but the church should be actively thinking about and considering what God's word says about singleness as well as considering the singles that God has put in our lives and what God would want for them. This matters for the whole church. And, and I, it struck me this week as I, um, as I prepared and, and listened to a few different, uh, few different pastors and, and authors as they reflected on singleness. You know, we often, when we think about singleness, we think of the, the 20 or 30-somethings uh, that, that are uh, in, in this season of singleness. Uh, but the reality is those who are married now about half at least, will be single again. You see, singleness comes in all kinds of different ways and at different times in our lives. And many uh, who are no longer single at this moment will one day be single again, either through the loss of a spouse or through the sorrow of divorce. And there are some who are not only single in their 20s or 30s, but who will be single uh, for the course of your life this this matters not just for a short period of time but this matters for our whole lives and it matters for the whole church so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 25 through 40 our passage is specifically addressing uh, those who are unmarried as well as uh, those who are widows it does briefly at the end of the of the chapter uh, <clears throat> let's let's read through uh, our passage and and then uh, what i want to do is is try to unpack paul's argument to give us a real sense of what he's saying uh, and then i want to step back and say what what does this passage uh, teach us about god's design for singleness so jump in with me here in verse 25 now concerning the betrothed those who are unmarried but committed to marriage i have no command from the lord but i give my judgment as one who by the lord's mercy uh, is trustworthy I think that in the view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. That that's kind of the uh, the kind of uh, framework and and kind of controlling uh, idea that Paul is going to unpack. Remain as you are. Um, he's obviously addressing primarily the unmarried here, but he's going to apply it in a lot of different situations. Verse twenty-seven: Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free? From a wife, do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. Again, mind you, he's primarily in this part addressing the unmarried. I want to spare you, he says, of some of those worldly troubles. Verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Verse 32, he continues, I want you to be free from anxiety. Addressing the unmarried here again. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, he's going to give some special instruction to those... Uh, who desire marriage. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And then a word to those who are widowed. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, verse thirty nine, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is Paul's instruction to the unmarried at the church in Corinth. And he's he's going to say that he would desire those who are unmarried to remain as such. And he's going to give a few different reasons. Um, and, and I want you just to consider uh, these, these reasons. He basically gives three reasons uh, to remain unmarried. Uh, the context and the situation, of course, is different. This isn't, this isn't Paul at college night giving a sermon on singleness. He's addressing a particular congregation with some unique circumstances. And yet, uh, from it, we see um, some truth uh, and even uh, even even God's design for singleness and and the words and instruction that Paul gives. So in verse verse twenty five through twenty eight, uh, if you see there in chapter seven, Paul's going to say, uh, "I wish that you would remain unmarried because of the present distress." Uh, he he's he's giving some wisdom in light of the particular circumstances that the Corinthians uh, are facing. Um, it doesn't tell us what the present distress is. Uh, and, and in fact, there's there's a little bit of um, uh, of debate as to whether or not what he's talking about in verses twenty five through twenty eight are a standalone point, or if verse twenty nine through thirty one actually provide the explanation. Um, and and I'm kind of torn myself on on what he is exactly saying because in verse twenty nine he says this is what I mean, brothers uh, and and sisters. So he's going on to. Uh, to kind of explain what he's saying but there there is some uh, argument perhaps that there are some unique circumstances even famine uh, and social unrest that was being faced by the Corinthians at this time and and Paul is saying in light of your present circumstances uh, I would I would have you remain as you are because of these circumstances he he's not saying that marriage is superior or singleness or singleness superior to marriage uh, but he's saying in this circumstance that uh, it's better to remain unmarried. Uh, and, and and he says as such, if you marry, you haven't sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you of that. And so it seems as if he's saying in light of the present circumstance that the Corinthians are facing, there's actually, uh, there's some sparing of some of the unique struggles that a, a married couple would have in those circumstances that a single uh, unmarried person wouldn't. Uh, however, the, the, I think the controlling idea that's important for us is he says, um, he gives a, an internal perspective in verses 29 through 31 when he says remain unmarried uh, because this world is passing away. Uh, he, he's going to say in verse 29 that uh, the appointed time has grown very short. Uh, this language is often used in reference to looking forward to the coming of Christ. And he's going to apply this eternal perspective to a lot of different things. And you might have, as we read through this, you might have said, what in the world does it mean to be, be, have a wife but live as though you don't, and have a husband and live as though you don't, and mourn as though you don't? All these things, it's like, what, what kind of double speak is Paul doing here? What he's saying is that God's word gives us an eternal perspective that shapes all of our relationships and, and the entirety of how we operate in life. And so even in marriage, even in sorrows and in joys, those things aren't the, the ultimate, those things aren't the substance, those things are the shadow, uh, and we keep our focus uh, on the eternal perspective that these things of the world are passing away, and with it, one day God is coming again. And so uh, he's he's ultimately saying we don't look to find in our everyday life what can only be found in God. We don't look to find in our relationships, either in singleness or in marriage, what can only be found in God. And that ultimately brings us to the, to the heart of what he says in verse 32 through 35 when he, he says, I wish you would remain unmarried because of or for the sake of your devotion to God. He's going to say that um, I, I want you to be free from anxieties. And he's going to talk about the the anxieties uh, and, um, and the things that a married person would have to busy themselves with uh, that the single person would not. And verse 35 gets to the heart of it. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Marriage isn't bad. Marriage doesn't prohibit you or hinder you from loving God. It puts different responsibilities and different constraints upon you and different means in which God will use to help you love him and to to help you reflect him in the world. Uh, But Paul is saying for those who are unmarried, you're free from certain anxieties in life. Uh, Every single person would say you're not free from all anxiety in life, but you're free from certain anxieties, Paul says, but it's a freed up to. An undivided devotion to God. Uh, and he's, he's ultimately showing us a picture of the purpose uh, of marriage, and it's ultimately a purpose that's true regardless of the season that we find ourselves in, but there's a particular enablement uh, for the single person to pursue undivided devotion to God. So in the passage as a whole, Paul is addressing both marriage and singleness. He's, he's going to say marriage is good, and God works in marriage for his purposes, uh, but, but he's, also, he's also saying singleness uh, is good, and God has purpose for your singleness. And that's, that's what I want us to press into, is what does Paul's teaching here in 1 Corinthians 7, what does it say about God's design for singleness? There are three things I want us to see. The first is I want us to see the goodness of singleness, <clears throat> we've we've already seen just in going over the passage how Paul is saying uh, from the from the get go, uh, I wish you would be like me. I, I think it it would be better for the kingdom of God if there are more people like me. Paul himself was single, uh, and and he's he's kind of sharing the reasons why that's the case, not as a knock on marriage, uh, but but showing how God uses and intends to use singleness within. Uh, within his kingdom for his purpose and for his glory. And and we actually, if you go back in, in chapter 7 at the beginning, uh, Paul starts off by talking about marriage. Uh, but in, in doing so, um, as he talks about marriage, verse 6, he says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, single, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, and one of another. See what Paul is saying here is that singleness is a gift. Singleness is good because it comes from God. Even at the end of uh, of our chapter in verse forty, as Paul talks about the widowed, um, the, the particularly the widow, and when he says she's free to remarry, marriage uh, is dissolved at death, uh, and yet she would be happier. Paul says. Uh, if she remained as she is, I think I too have the spirit of God. So, so God's word is showing us that that singleness isn't to to be seen as a deficiency, but singleness is to be seen as a good gift from God. Now, when we say that singleness is um, is, is a good gift, uh, we kind of bring up the question of: so then, is is singleness a gift? Uh, Or or excuse me, do I have the gift of singleness? Um, We kind of flip these two. I I think the Bible is teaching that singleness is a gift. It's a good gift from God, Uh, but we often uh, begin to think, well, uh, or ask ourselves, well, do I have the gift of singleness? And and this kind of can lead us in in a number of different directions. We can be. Uh, discontent and angry because we may feel like we don't have the gift of singleness, or we can throw ourselves into any relationship with anyone because we're, uh, we're certain that we don't have the gift of singleness and that we want to marry. Uh, but what Paul is saying here isn't as if uh, singleness is a spiritual gift that God gives you know, some of us and others don't have, but he's saying the status of singleness, being single, is good and comes from the Lord. Now, we say at TCC that God doesn't get our address wrong. He also doesn't get our relationship status wrong. Singleness is to be received as a good gift, and we can receive it as a good gift, not when we're focused on whether or not we feel like we uh, have the capacity uh, to continue being single, but we can receive it as a good gift when we keep our eyes on the giver of good gifts. Uh, and in fact, one of the most helpful authors uh, for me, as I've thought through this topic, uh, is a pastor in Nashville, uh, Sam Alberry. Uh, he has a book called "The Seven Myths of Singleness," a book that I would recommend uh, to married and single alike uh, to to get and to read, uh, or even just search uh, Sam Alberry uh, preaching on singleness. And at the end of his book, he made this statement that <clears throat> that struck me. Uh, when when he was talking about just the process of writing on singleness, he says, "I got to the end uh, of writing on this book, and I reflected back in the beginning. I intended to write about the goodness of singleness." He said, "But as I've written on the topic, I've become more and more uh, focused not upon the goodness of singleness, but on the goodness of God." And he said it this way: He said, "The issue is not whether this path or that path is better." Paul said, "One has one gift; one has another." whether singleness or marriage would bring me more good. The issue is God, and whether I will plunge myself into Him, trusting Him every day. You see, when we think about the goodness of singleness, it should lead us to think about the goodness of God who is in control and working out His plan and His purpose in our life. Now, when I talk about the goodness of singleness, I recognize that some of you would say, I'm happy uh, trusting God in my singleness, but I don't ultimately desire to remain single. Uh, I would desire to marry. And God's word is encouraging to us here that marriage, like singleness, is a good gift as well. Uh, That God uh, has given uh, to us uh, and is to be received as singleness, as a gift. And those who desire marriage desire a good thing. Uh, Paul says it is no sin uh, to do so; uh, it, it, it's it's a gift. and And I think the the most important thing uh, for those who desire to marry is to remember that in your singleness uh, you must find yourself content in the Lord, because you cannot look to marriage to give you what can only be found in God. In fact. We could say it this way, if, if you're not happy in God in your singleness, there's a good chance you're not going to be happy in your marriage. Because what makes you content in singleness as well as content in marriage is finding yourself delighting in and satisfied in God. As a foundational level, as as you think about your desire for marriage, if you currently are single and desire to marry Allow that to be at the forefront of your mind and your heart. And yet, I do want to give some, some wisdom, some encouragement uh, for those who are not yet married, but who wish to marry. Uh, what, what, would, um, what would God's word and what would uh, wisdom from God's word uh, encourage you uh, to do if you find yourself in that position? Here's just a few things in no uh, particular uh, order except this first one. And the first is give yourself to the Lord give yourself to the lord not so that he will give you a spouse but give yourself to the lord because you need him regardless of and who with regardless of and uh, and, and no matter what spouse he brings you uh, we uh, fundamentally um, are called to give ourselves to the lord and and i think sometimes in christian circles we can uh, we can sometimes uh, try to play with this idea a little bit. And, and and the encouragement is, you know, you just follow the Lord. He's going to bring somebody into your life. That's that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what we should say. I don't know if the Lord will bring someone in your life. But one thing I do know is if you give yourself to him, you can have the greatest satisfaction. And God in doing so may choose to bring that person into your life, but it doesn't begin with your seeking of the spouse. It begins with your seeking of the Lord. And then submit this desire. Secondly, submit the desire for marriage to God in prayer. As, as everything in our life, the, the desires that we have, we should be submitting them to him and saying, God, bring my desires in line with your word. And then begin to even pray for whom God would have you marry. Not only praying for marriage in a general sense, but even beginning to pray for the person that God would bring into your life. And, and you, you might say, well, it's typical that the sermon you know, would, and, and church would encourage me to pray about these things. Yes, because both, as we said, singleness and marriage are a gift. And if they're a gift, they come from the giver. And God, as our Father, delights to give good gifts to his children when we pray, when we seek him. And if we pray and ask for marriage and He doesn't give it to us, then we can be confident that He has given us by not giving us what we des- and we ask for. He's given us exactly what we need. As well as we can have the confidence if we ask Him uh, for these things and He gives them to us, we can receive them with grateful hearts and open hands to glorify Him. And, and then in this process of thinking about being married, <clears throat> I want to encourage you to continually prioritize who God wants you to be. Yes, it's important to think about who God would want you to marry. uh, But as as a priority, I would say focus on who God wants you to be. It comes back to what Paul even says in this passage, that singleness uh, enables one to be wholly, uh, uh, undividedly uh, committed and devoted to the Lord. So focus on who God wants you to be. And then to kind of bookend it with the first point of giving yourself to God, put your hope in God, not in marriage. Put your hope in God and not in marriage. There's more that could be said. There's more conversations that could be had about how to think about uh, what it looks like to pursue uh, a relationship. And what if you're in a context where you don't feel like there's a uh, a suitable uh, or potential partner, what, is, what does it look like to navigate uh, dating in this context and a uh, online dating uh, scenario and in all these different scenarios, there's conversations that should should be had and can be had and the church should be a place where we're talking about these things together and encouraging each other in these things together. But here's some foundational wisdom that can shape how we uh, approach our desire to be married and yet we're not yet married at this moment. Singleness is a good gift um, that that comes from God, and we should recognize the goodness of singleness. But we also, in this passage, can see the benefits of singleness. Um, And and by benefits, we see Paul says, at least in two different ways, that singleness spares us from some worldly troubles, uh, particularly that can come uh, from, uh, from marriage, Uh, as well as frees us from some anxieties. And there's a real sense in which, uh, as Paul uh, unpacks singleness here, as well as how Jesus talked about singleness there in Matthew 19, that singleness provides freedom for something, freedom for God, uh, freedom to uh, pursue things that you would not otherwise be able to pursue. Uh, It frees us up in ways that marriage can limit us. And and in saying this, you know, uh, this isn't a an affirmation to put off marriage so you can travel abroad and do more, or, uh, nor is it is it just elevating singleness as uh, as it being superior to marriage. I, we're we're not trying to get either of these things out of whack. We're just recognizing that the good gift of singleness comes with certain benefits, and, and what's important for us is to, uh, I think, the challenge is is to be able to receive. Uh, the the benefits of singleness for what they are, uh, not to compare the uh, the the lows of singleness with the highs of marriage or the down of singleness with the ups of marriage or vice versa to compare the downs of marriage with the with the highs or the ups of singleness. So we we often as we think about singleness, uh, it can be viewed in such a way as a, in comparison to marriage. It's so much better. Than marriage because of this, or marriage is so much better because it allows for this, and and we begin to do this comparison thing, and and instead, as we've already said, marriage and singleness uh, are both gifts, but they both have their challenges, and they both uh, have their blessings, and and Paul is saying that singleness provides uh, a benefit, and that it frees you up uh, from some troubles and some anxieties in order to to pursue the Lord, and we'll come back to that purpose here in just a minute. But when I think about the benefits of singleness, and I read what Paul was saying here about how he wants them to be free from certain anxieties and uh, to to be spared from certain troubles, I I couldn't help just think about singleness in my own life as well as those uh, who I know are single. And as I thought about saying that there are benefits to singleness, I think a lot of times um, uh, for a single person, they would say what what isn't fully appreciated about singleness? Some we we can we can too quickly assume that the benefit of singleness is your free time and you're not constrained by another person or, or perhaps by children. You have the ability to, to go do these things. Uh, but we don't always fully appreciate is actually the hard of singleness, uh, the difficulty of singleness, uh, and and so I want to I want to give room to recognize. That singleness can be hard. Yes, there are benefits that Paul is talking about, but but singleness can be hard. It it can be thrust before you on a daily basis. You can be reminded of it as you eat a meal by yourself or even prepare a meal at home by yourself for a dinner party of one. You can Be reminded of it when you're at the grocery store and the two-for-one special, you know, is just there for the taking, but you're probably not going to eat the second, you know, helping. Um, Anyway, the the wedding invitations that seemingly pour in, especially for the 20 and 30-something singles where you're reminded of your single status, Uh, the the hopes for marriage that are deferred. uh, And as the... uh, Proverbs talks about the hope deferred makes a heart sick. The, the assumptions that people can make about your singleness, uh, the, the small comments of, oh, there's somebody out there for you, or what's wrong with you, or, uh, or the, the assumptions, sometimes even that well-meaning parents can bring uh, upon you of, uh, of assuming that you need to do something or put yourself in a better position or go to certain places or be around certain people so that you can get out of singleness as if it's a thing to be escaped. And and, just a multitude of small things that uh, can make life hard. The loneliness that shouldn't be automatically assumed to accompany singleness and yet can't be denied that it is a real experience and a real struggle for many it's it's on the deepest level that these struggles can be as well as just even the smallest things when you got to put together furniture from IKEA which I mean nobody should have to do alone uh, there's there's real struggles uh, with singleness um, big and small and and to say that there are benefits isn't to negate uh, the the difficulty and the uh, the hard of singleness but it's also to, to recognize that um, God sees you in your singleness. He has a, a design for your singleness, and and in part, He's enabling you for to to pursue some things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to pursue, or pursue things in a unique way that in other seasons of your life you can't. And, and I think <clears throat> one area I want to highlight, just to circle back to the benefit, having having acknowledged the hard, I, I want to highlight the importance of friendship. I, I believe. Friendship is so important that we're actually going to devote a whole message to it next week to talk about God's design for friendship because friendship matters for married people and single people. Um, And yet, I, I want to make clear that singleness doesn't have to be and shouldn't be a sentence to loneliness. Singleness, as God has designed it, is really an invitation to intimacy with God and intimacy with others. In fact, singleness enables and allows for a unique capacity as well as a unique breadth of friendship in your life a unique capacity for friendship and a breadth of friendship uh, in your life that that perhaps wouldn't otherwise be possible now I recognize there's different temperaments and personalities, and some of you would say, like, "I just want to. I only want one good friend. That's all I want." You know, um, and uh, and that, that that's fine. That's I'm not trying to apply this to, to each personality in some unique way, but I'm saying that there is a um, an ability and a capacity for friendship and a unique uh, breadth of friendship in a way that's particularly true uh, of of singleness that, that we should press into and that should be explored and, and pursued and cultivated in the life of the church. That the church should be a place that, that fosters these kinds of friendships, which means both friendships among singles and between singles and those who are married and those who are younger and those who are older, that there's this beautiful picture and design that God has for friendship that we need uh, to understand and appreciate. And I want to highlight as we think about the benefits of singleness, that it's a particular benefit uh, to press into, to think about uh, how God allows for singleness uh, to uh, provide a unique capacity for friendship and breadth of friendship with others. But, but I've, been, I've been kind of uh, eager to jump into this final point because I think it's the driving point of this passage. And, and that's the, the third point that I want us to look at is the purpose of singleness, and verse 35 is where it comes out most explicitly then when Paul says, I've said these things to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. What is singleness for? Singleness, Paul says, isn't about you. Singleness isn't about your self-expression or self-fulfillment. Singleness isn't even about your happiness. Singleness, according to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35, is about your devotion to the Lord. To, to use Gary Thomas's statement about marriage and apply it to singleness, what if singleness isn't about your happiness, but it's about your holiness? What if singleness is about God's desire to draw you in to intimacy with him and deepen your devotion to him, your delight in him, your usefulness to him and to his kingdom. This is what God's designed us for and what he has particularly made the purpose of singleness. So what does this devotion look like? It doesn't say specifically here, but if I could if I could give you 3 categories to think about, Think about it this way, that, that God's purpose for your singleness as we think about it in terms of undistracted devotion, make make devotion to God's word a priority in your singleness. Devotion to God's Word, allowing God's Word to shape and form you into who He wants you to be. Make devotion to God's people, the church not a church in general, but a local church in specific, that, that you, you make that the place in which you experience God's family and community with others and meaningful friendship and, and serving God and worshiping Him alongside others. Be devoted to God's people, to, to the local church in which God intends to use to shape you and make you into who uh, He desires you to be. And then think of God's um, purpose in your singleness as devotion to God's mission. No matter your present location or vocation, think of God's desire and purpose in your singleness to use you for the sake of His mission, for the sake of making Him known right where you're at and all over the world. Paul says, I want to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Alberry, in his book uh, on singleness and the myths of singleness, he he, he said it this way. He said, If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, Paul says in Ephesians 5, what I'm talking about is the mystery of Christ and the church, the role of husband and wife pointing uh, to Christ and the church gives us the the structure and the shape of the gospel. Singleness shows us its sufficiency about us in relationship with God, an intimate union with God. See, earlier I said we we live in a culture that views singleness as about uh, fulfilling our desires, finding ourselves. Often it's seen as a place in, in which singleness is the pursuit of our sexual desires apart from any constraint or boundaries. When we think about singleness showing us the sufficiency of the gospel, Christian singleness testifies that there's a greater reality beyond what our culture is telling us to find our identity in. There's a greater reality than sexual fulfillment. There's a, uh, an intimacy that's deeper than romantic love. Christian singleness testifies that you don't have to satisfy yourself, your sexual desires in order for, to fulfill their purpose that our sexual desires actually point uh, to to a greater reality, that we were made for a deeper intimacy and union with God. And it's singleness that testifies to that in the greatest, uh, perhaps, way, and it's showing us the sufficiency of the gospel. In a world that says you need everything else in your singleness to be satisfied, Christian singleness says that Jesus is enough. Christian singleness is something altogether different because God's purpose in singleness is to secure our undivided devotion to Him, to to showcase the sufficiency of the gospel that what we were made for first and foremost wasn't wasn't for marriage, it isn't for a job, it isn't for sexual fulfillment, it isn't for uh, academic achievement or career uh, advancement, but what we're made for is to be in forever union and relationship with God, experiencing the intimacy with him that he designed us for in the beginning. God's purpose in our singleness isn't about our happiness. It's about our holiness and a holiness that gives way to a satisfaction and delight in God that we were made for. So where does this leave us as a church? This call to Singleness, this design for singleness, that's given to the whole church, uh, that's that's given to encourage and, and challenge us. I want to I want to challenge uh, just for a few moments and encourage um, couples and families um, when we think about what God is saying to us here uh, as it relates to singleness and and, and how uh, God's purpose in singleness and God's uh, design for singleness. I think one of the things that it should call us to as a church and particularly as couples and families is to open our lives and our homes to those who are single. I love what Rosaria Butterfield said. She says, do what you do, open your arms wider, open your home and your life up to those who aren't married. I love Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6. In fact, in Rosaria Butterfield's book, uh, the gospel comes with a house key. As she talks about hospitality and, and it relates to, uh, to singleness, she points to this verse. She says, it says in Psalm 68, verse 4, Sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song to Him. His name is the Lord, exalt before Him. Father of the fatherless, a protector of widows, is God in His holy habitation, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. God settles the solitary in a home. Those who are without, he brings in and he designs the church to be a place that's not like a family, but is a family. In fact, the lines between our nuclear family and our spiritual family should be blurred because we open our lives and our home. Not, not hosting someone into a pristine house, but welcoming somebody into your life. Do what you do, but open your arms wider. And then I would say to couples and to families, I want, I want us to really care about singles and the challenges and the joys of singleness. I'm not calling us to, to look at singleness as second best and our singles as somebody who need charity in some capacity. That's not at all what God's word is calling us to. God's word is telling us that as the church, we have a responsibility for the singles within our church. We have an opportunity to display a community that welcomes married and uh, couples without kids and with kids and singles, young and old, and, uh, and uh, old believers, young believers, all alike into this community. We, we are not called to play matchmaker unless your single friend is encouraging you or asking you for that help, but what we are called to do is to spur them on in their devotion to the Lord and direction in life. Let's really not just open our homes, but also really press into and enjoy those that God has put in our life who are single. And, and for our singles, as you hear this, I, I want you to say that you're welcome in, in our homes. I, I want you to make yourself available. Don't be afraid to, uh, to, to make an ask or, or invite yourself over to open uh, up the conversation not because it's your responsibility, but because you're welcome to do so and that our churches should be a place that's modeling that and, and welcoming that type of invitation. And as I said earlier, devote yourself, commit yourself to your church family, to relationships within your church family as a place in which God uh, is going to, to work out his purpose and plan for your singleness. And vice versa, really care about marriages and and families and and the particular challenges and struggles. And as I thought about this particular point, I can think of specific people that God has used even in our own family to be a blessing and encouragement to us, even in singleness, as well as, uh, Lord willing, even us in marriage have been able to be an encouragement and a blessing uh, to them, that this should be not the the exception, but the the norm, the pattern of how we relate to one another in the church. And, and ultimately, as we think about um, God's purpose and design for singleness, what it's what it's reminding us of is, as a church, we are God's family, not like a family, but really God's family, where. <clears throat> our corporate identity in Christ should lead to us sharing our lives together, tangibly sharing life together, welcoming one another into our lives and into our homes, around our dinner tables and into our living rooms. And as we go about our day, and yes, even as we gather as a local church, that we would foster a place, not where we attend, but a family to which we belong. And then ultimately for married and for singles alike, I want us to all remember that we're all not yet married. As followers of Christ, we're all waiting for Christ's return. And the celebration that awaits us that's painted in Revelation 19 is a celebration of a marriage supper. In Revelation nineteen six through 8 it says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. When we zoom out and we think about this reality that all of us, single or married, are all not yet married in relation to God. We see that Jesus is our bridegroom. We are his bride. The bridegroom came and laid down his life for us. The bridegroom has promised to come again for us. And he intends when he comes for us to present us, his bride, to himself, pure and spotless. By grace through faith. For those who are married, this is what your marriage is all about. For those who are single, this is what your singleness is all about. A testimony to the sufficiency of the gospel because ultimately it all will give way when the shadow gives way to the substance and we enter into not only knowing but being known fully by our great God and Savior, by the bridegroom who's wed us to himself through his work on the cross and through his victorious resurrection singleness testifies to the sufficiency of the gospel your singleness is a gift that god intends to use to testify to the goodness and sufficiency of the gospel let's pray father thank you for your word thank you for your word that god that meets us right where we're at that speaks into our lives and and challenges us to think rightly about um about singleness and whether we're single for a season or for a lifetime, God, it's a good gift from you that you intend to use to free us up uh, in unique ways uh, as well as to, uh, to, to ultimately accomplish an undivided devotion to you. Lord, that's my desire, uh, that you would, you would be at work in um, every uh, single person's life within our church to, to secure their undivided devotion to the Lord. God, that you would help us as a church to to function as a family where couples and families open up their lives, do what they do with wider arms and care about the singles that God has put uh, in our church family and and singles fill the freedom and the the opportunity to uh, step into and be a part of relationships with others and to pursue meaningful friendship within the church and model even what this community looks like to a watching world. God, now is, now is really an opportunity as so many are looking for uh, belonging and community who are displaced from others that, that God, the, the solitary would find a home in the church. That we would testify to the goodness of singleness and the goodness of marriage as for your purpose and for your glory, God, that we would, we would showcase that in the way that we live. Father, today, I pray for anyone regardless of their relationship status, who finds themselves not sure of whether or not they know you if they have a relationship with you, God, all of this is speaking to to that very thing that we were made to know you, so Lord, anyone uh who's listening today who knows that they don't know you but who want to know you, God would you help them right where they're at and and uh, the quietness of their own heart for them to say something like this in their own words God, I know I need you. I believe that you desire to know me. I know that I've sinned, but I know that you died for my sin and that you rose from the dead and that you're welcoming me into a relationship with you. I give you my life. I turn from my sin. Save me. Make me new. I'm yours. Lord, I pray anyone who prayed that prayer would let us know so that we could rejoice with them and walk with them. And Lord, I pray for all of us, and particularly for my single brothers and sisters, that today they're reminded that you see them. God, that you've given them singleness as a gift that has a purpose, that you're working out and accomplishing in their life, that gives way one day to what we're all made for to know you and be known by you. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.